Thanks for tuning into the ES First podcast. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So take a minute to hop on over and give us a like or a follow. And of course, if you're ever in Excelsior Springs, stop on by. We can't wait to welcome you home. Good morning. How are you today? Welcome back. It's Memorial Day weekend or Labor Day weekend memorial. We're remembering work, um, something we're doing today. Laboring unto thy rest is what the Bible says. Um, anybody off tomorrow? Anybody got to work tomorrow? Oh, glory to God. All right. Well, we'll pray for you today at the end of the service. But uh, welcome to ES First. Um, we uh, are a Jesus-following church. We follow Jesus, and we believe that the Bible tells a story about his life from beginning to end. So right now, we're, we're going through the, uh, the Gospels, which are a narrative or a story about Jesus' life. We believe that if you're going to be like Jesus, you better know what he did, how he acted, what he was like. And so that's what we're doing. Um, we're at the end of Mark, and we're going to finish up in the next couple weeks. But uh, anywhere you walk into the story of Jesus is a good place. So if you're here for the first time or the 50th time, or you just got back here because you were on vacation all summer, come on, somebody. Anybody been on vacation all summer? Tades? Tades, you guys been on vacation all summer? Okay, Matt has? Okay, all right. Anyway, it's, uh, it's been a good summer so far, and uh, after this, we're going we're gonna to roll into a week of revival um, in two weeks. Y'all didn't even know that. Some of you are like, what? Uh, it's actually a fall revival. It's four days, but um, it'll be a great time, and we'll have more information coming on that. Um, and then we'll start in a new book, so aren't you excited? Look at somebody next to you and say, I'm excited. Are you? And if they don't look excited, just pinch them really hard, give them a good horse bite on their thigh, whatever it takes to get them to say amen, and we'll get going. So the, uh, the part of Mark that we're in right now is, is the part of Jesus' crucifixion. Pastor walked us up into uh, a part of where uh, Jesus is betrayed by Judas, and then um, we, we see him go into to face Pontius Pilate. He's arrested. He's tried in the middle of the night. And uh, they go to trial and basically deem him guilty of one thing, basically claiming that he was God, um, which, in which case they ask him a question, are, are you the son of God? And he just has to say, I am, because, because he can't lie. And so he, he expresses the truth, and then they rip their clothes off, and, which sounds like pretty crazy, but that was the way that they expressed their grief. They would rent their clothes and, and their robes, and, and they, they go to, to, to find a trial where they can get him uh, to be sentenced to death. So they go to Pontius Pilate, who is the governor of that area. He's a Roman governor. And uh, so they go to him and they say, we need him to be dead. And then Pontius Pilate tries to get around it. And he's like, I don't, I don't see any fault in this guy. I don't think he's really guilty. And they're like, he's absolutely guilty. And, uh, and they keep going and they keep going. And Pontius Pilate has this scheme. He's like, you know what, maybe if I can like trick the people into voting and, and they'll maybe save Jesus and then crucify somebody else. So they say, what about this guy, Barabbas. Barabbas is the worst of the worst, and, and he's the notorious murderer, and let's have him come out. He's like, I'll release to you one prisoner, and so they bring out Barabbas, and he's the worst. He's crazy. He's done all these bad things. I can imagine they, he probably killed somebody's grandma and, and had, had, had stolen from a lot of them or whatever had happened. They were very personally involved with Barabbas. They knew who he was, and he's like, do you want me to free Barabbas? Or to free Jesus. I'll free one person. And they all wanted the notorious murderer, the sinner, the worst of the worst, to be free. And that was Barabbas. And so he went and then they sent Jesus to be beaten, to be crucified. 
It's crazy to think about how Jesus in this one act gives redemption to the worst of the worst in a minute. He saves him even though he's not worthy of being saved. And so Jesus goes, and the Bible says that he goes and he's beaten. He's beaten far more than anybody's ever beaten. He's beaten to the point where you can't even tell if he's a man or if he's just roadkill laying on the pavement. And, and, and then, then they make him carry his cross, and he carries his cross up to Golgotha, which is the place of the skull, and uh, it's the place where they would kill people on the cross, and he carries his own cross, and nobody else did that, and then there comes a point where he can carry it no longer because he's so weak, and another man, Simon, carries it all the way up the, up the hill for him, and then they nail him to a cross, and they put him there, and he dies. He dies. And in this part of the story, what happens is, is there's a very rich man named Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. He's actually part of the Pharisaical council. He's part of the Sanhedrin, and he's kind of undercover Jesus fan. And, and he says, I'll, I'll give him my tomb. He can, he, can, he can be buried in my tomb, and I'll, I'll take care of all of the burial arrangements. And so he goes to Pilate and says, can we have the body of Jesus? Can we have the body of Jesus? And Pilate is like, he, he's like, I can't believe he's already dead. Because usually they would hang on a tree for a couple days until they suffocated or birds came and ate their flesh and, and, and they would slowly die, but Jesus died really quickly. He couldn't believe that he was dead, and so he asks a, a, a soldier nearby, he says, is, is this true? Is Jesus dead? And they say, he says, yes, and so he gives the body to Joseph. And we're gonna read that passage today. Are you ready? Turn your Bibles to Mark 15, and uh, we'll start with verse 42 into 16. Here we go. It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb, and Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, and the mother of James, and Salomone, Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, Just after sunrise, they were on the way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where he laid him? But go tell the disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, where you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. We believe it's powerful. It's something that can change our life. We believe we're not here for a reason, but we're here to meet with you. We spend our Sunday morning when other people are in bed coming to a place to celebrate to acknowledge you, and to hear something from you. You said in your word that you would reward those who seek after you. And these people who are here today that say, seek after you, I believe that you're rewarding them in greater measure. You're giving them yourself. So today, give us more of you. 
Help us to know you in deeper ways by your spirit and in perfect truth. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the whole entire gospel, the story of Jesus' life, is coming to a close, and it's coming to a close with this. Jesus dies on a cross. Now, the interesting thing is that Jesus has spent most of the book telling everyone how he was going to save the world, right? He was going around healing people, and everybody was following him. Could you imagine uh, being Peter and, and giving up your business and just be like, I'm going to wander around in the wilderness with you. Wherever you go, I'll go. And for three years, just gave it all up. He left his wife behind, left his mother-in-law behind. He just left it. He has 11 other guys other than Peter that have given him everything. He has a crowd that sometimes is up to like 5,000, 10,000 people. They've been following Jesus. He has a close probably 100 to 150 to 500 people that are constantly following him around, looking for him to do what he said he's done, he's going to do. And then in this, in this moment, he, he's like, you know what, it's, it's, my time has come. And everybody's like, yay, it's Jesus' time. And then he goes and prays in a garden and he gets arrested. It's like, you know, like, have you ever been going somewhere and then like got pulled over by the cops and it ruined your whole entire trip? You know what I mean? Like you're driving down the road, you're like, you're headed, to, you know, loosen your load uh, all the way to wherever you're going. I'm going to California if I'm going and I'm driving. And when you go to here, I have a problem. Could you just pray for me? Like whatever the speed limit is, I'm going to go faster than it's just, this is my, my issue. Okay. And I pray that God protects me. And, you know, people say, don't fly faster than your angels. I put them to the test, man. That's what I do. Okay, so, like, when you drive to California, you drive through, like, Kansas, which is the most boring state. Okay, it's, like, 55 there still because they're kind of antiquated. So 55, you know, and you're like, I can't drive 55. And you keep driving. And then you cut through Texas. And then you get, like, into New Mexico. New Mexico drives, like, like. 75. And then you get like, man, it can't get better than this. I can drive 80 because I'm like five over and I can like still be safe. And if somebody cop pulls me up, I'm like, dude, I'm just like four and a half over. And they're like, oh yeah, it's fine, bro. Keep going. You know, uh, it's 80 feels good in my car. But when you get to Arizona, like it bumps up to 80. It bumps up to 80. And I'm like, this is where I should live all the time. <laughs> this is where I need to be. And so when it's 80, like instead of driving 85, I drive like 90. I'm like, I push it to like 100. Because like when I'm in Missouri, it's like 65. And I would drive like 85. No problem, right? Right? If they give me a ticket, I'll pay it. It's like, it's worth it to feel this feeling. <laughs> so I go into Arizona, and I have, I have big cars. Like, you know, I got a, got a man's car, you know. So like if some people drive minivans. I don't drive minivans. I drive a man. I'm a man. So I got an SUV. Like if I got to haul people, it's got to look like a school bus that looks like it's like, you know, going to go kill somebody. So like my, my daughter's like, I didn't realize how nice our car was until I watched Batman and all the bad guys drive our exact same car in Batman. I was like, I know. So I'm driving through Arizona. I'm going like 95, you know. I was like, boom. Like, that's the what feels good to me. Now, like, where am I going? I'm going to the best place on earth. I'm going to the Pacific Coast, to the beach, and it's going to feel great. My kids are going to have a good time. But what happens in all of my excitement and feeling like the adrenaline rush going 95 around these corners, up in the mountains and over and through, is like, this is so great. And then you see lights flashing. Say, sir, I noticed you were going way over the speed limit. I clocked you going 102. And you say, I'm sorry. Is anybody going to get out of this? And not today, sir. You're going to have to pay the bill. And you find out the bill is $350. So the whole way you're like, man, I could, be, I could go to Disneyland on that money. I, got, I, could, I could be buying new shoes with that money. Like all the things you think about you could be doing with the money. Like your plans got thwarted on the way. 
And it kind of feels like this in that moment. Jesus is on his way to save the world. He's got big stuff he's going to do. I can imagine like preaching to, to 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 people. He's got great things. I mean, they're like multiplying bread. Stuff is going down. It's like, this is going to be the greatest day ever. Jesus is going to rule everything. It's awesome. And then on the way, Jesus gets arrested. It's like, what? Jesus didn't pay his bill? Like, he's got a warrant out for his arrest? What's the deal? Jesus is praying in the garden, preparing for the greatest day. And then everybody goes, why is Jesus being arrested? What is happening? It's crazy. It's like, it's, it's, it's really the conflict. In the theater or in literary terms, we would call it intensification of the conflict. I mean, there's conflict along the way, you know, but it's the intensification. It's like, you know, like in the, the Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz, we have conflict. Actually, Dorothy gets her dog taken away, and it's so traumatic for her that she runs away from home, right? And then she's out there, and then a tornado comes, and because of this stupid dog, and that crazy lady, now she's caught up in this tornado, and then she lands in a magical land that's full of color. And it's this conflict that happens because she doesn't know how to get back. And then the whole thing is filled with conflict. She runs into Tin Man. She runs into the Scarecrow. She runs into the lion who wants to eat her alive. Oh, my gosh. And then they walk through, and then they finally get to this place where she's trying to get home. She's trying to get home, and, and, and she can't get home. And then the intensification is like, you know, she goes to the Wicked Witch's house and then and then uh she's trying to get her shoes back and and all these flying monkeys are everywhere and then she just magically throws water on the witch and she melts but the problem is she still can't get home it's the intensification of the conflict it's the intensification of the conflict it's like the notebook Mm, come on somebody you know the conflict is like noah has to go away to war and then Allie's left there to just fend for herself. And it's a terrible, terrible time. Like, oh, what are we going to do? And they come back, and that stupid girl, Allie, is run off with some other dude. And Noah's still alive, and he's got to put up with this girl. Right? And the intensification of the conflict is she's going to get married. But then, you know, he's got this house, and it's going to be so dreamy. And then all of a sudden, they're arguing in the rain. Like, what do you want? I don't know. What do you want? I don't know. It's the intensification. It's conflict. It's problems. Like Billy Madison, he wants, to, he wants to have his dad's company. We got this crazy, squirrely, ferret-looking guy who's going to run it if Billy Madison doesn't go back to school, right? So he's got to get all this stuff. I mean, just back to school shopping is enough. Conflict. He's got to go back to school. He's got to complete every grade, and he's got problems after problems. It becomes an intensification of the conflict when the ferret-looking guy is not going to settle for Billy graduating and he's doing anything to, to thwart the plan. Now, in literary terms, this is what's happening here, although it's actually real life. In most of our lives, we have this intensification of the conflict. We have small conflicts. And all of a sudden, something big happens, and we're like, what are we going to do? That's why we like stories. That's why we like to see people succeed because it kind of gives us hope that something is going to happen. Something wonderful is possible for us too. So we can believe in this story. We can watch it and be like, that's just like me. I've been standing in the rain arguing with my boyfriend over and over and over again. Some people are laughing like, I have, I have. It's my favorite thing. I do, I do it just on purpose. I start fights with them just so we can go out in the rain and argue. You know you ladies do that stuff staging stuff. 
We like those stories because they mean something to us. We like the conflict. But what happens when here, Jesus, I mean, he's had plenty of conflict. He's got enough, you know, drama surrounding him. He's got enough, you know, kind of stigma. And he's going to go save everybody. It's going to be awesome. And we're going to like, yeah, it's going to save everybody. But he's like, I'm going to die. And you're like, well, you're not going to die. I'll die I'll die with you. I'll fight for you. I'll, I'll do whatever it takes for you not to have to die. And then like in, in just this private, intimate moment of prayer in the garden when you're doing nothing, all of a sudden before you know it, he's arrested and he's hauled off and he's beaten to almost death. And then he has to go and be crucified like a criminal. And you're like, what is going on? It's the intensification of the conflict. It's like, I had problems before. We could kind of work through them. But now it's like, you know, everything's come to a head. But the only problem is it's not a happy ending. Jesus dies. Jesus is dead. And I think like on this side of everything, we see everything. We go, oh, yeah, it's cool. I mean, I've seen enough, uh, you know, Easter plays. To know that when they pulled Jesus off the cross and Jesus was like, Whoa. you know, like if you got a really good Jesus who can like make his body go, one time Jesus, Johnny was Jesus and I was convinced Johnny was dead. And they hold him right over here and put him over here off the stage and then went back there and there he was standing up. I'm like, well, I thought you were dead, bro. I'm crying out there about you. He wasn't dead. And I think we don't get that, that like when they go to pull Jesus off the cross, like, you can imagine the feeling that you feel when you look at somebody in a casket and you look at their face. And you know that that's the person that you used to talk to, but they don't talk back. You know, like, you can touch them, but they're not there. That, like, Jesus, like, is staring into space, but his soul is not in his body. And you're like, this is conflict that I didn't plan on. This is the conflict that I, I wasn't really banking on. I could handle the other, but this is different. This is like burying my hopes and dreams. So Joseph wraps him in linen cloth, says he can have my tomb, and he puts him in a cave, a cave tomb, and they're so worried about what might happen to Jesus, they roll a rock in front of him. Now, most conflict in our life, because it doesn't always work out like Billy Madison, it doesn't always look like, like, like The Notebook, it doesn't always work out like Wizard of Oz, and we click our heels and like, Jesus, take me away from here, and it doesn't work. We just got to get up the next morning and face it. Oftentimes, we take things that we're convinced of. Maybe we even told everybody else, like, you know, God's so awesome. God's going to do great things. I mean, I can just imagine all this stuff. I mean, God told me. God told me. Isn't it going to be great? And then all of a sudden, it dies. And so we're like, you know what? That's a bunch of crap. We're just going to put it right over here, shove it in there, roll a big rock in front of it, and maybe no one will notice what happened. Maybe we can just keep existing. And so the disciples are hiding out for their lives, and, and Peter's already run off, and he's doing whatever. We've talked about that a little bit. But... What's happening is that everything is coming to basically shambles when they had placed their hope in him. Proverbs says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Mm. It's like when you hope in something and then like it gets, it gets sidelined. 
deferred. You know what I mean? Like, you ever had somebody, like, your student loans call, and, like, you're like, you owe us $450. Like, I just went to college. It wasn't that big a deal. And you're, like, rethinking all the ramen noodles you bought with that credit card, like, money. Nobody else? Okay. And you're like, is there anything I can do? And they're like, well, you know what? You can defer it. You can defer it. You can take what, you, what, is, what is present and put it over there for like a rainy day, for another time. Because it doesn't mean enough to handle it now. I don't have the means to deal with it, and so it's just deferred. It's over there. Like one time I had hope. I used to get up every single day and and I, I was happy. I, I, I would get up and I, I would go to the gym every day at 5 a.m. I, I would get up and, and, and it was like, oh, I would brush my teeth. And, oh, hey, everybody, it's time to get up and go to school. And then and it's like, I'm going to get you to school. It's such a great time. And my, my, my schedule is on. And I'm making the overtime. And I have money in the bank. Everything is, is just going great. And I'm so full of hope. And then something happens. And it's like, you can't get out of bed. You don't want to get out of bed. You just keep hitting snooze, and, and the kids can go late. And I, I don't even care if they even go today. You know, we just need another day. As a matter of fact, I just can't deal with my depression. And I, I'm, I'm not depressed. I'm just having a bad day. You know, I just get anxiety about facing the day. I, it's, it's my life, and, and we have all these things. And, and, and hope that we had for one day, everything was going good. We had a plan. It was going right. And then all of a sudden, it's like, I don't care about hope. Let's just defer that. Let's put it on the side. I don't want to deal with that today. And then somebody else comes along. Hey, how you doing? You know, smile. The world is smiling at you. But hope deferred makes the heart sick. What's the problem? Is that I'm heart sick. Heart sick. And I can imagine the people that watched Jesus come off the cross were a little bit heart sick. It's not just like a, a play where the person is acting dead. We're talking about dead, dead. We're talking about Jesus, the Savior of the world, the one who would give life, the ones that kids would run to him because he was so vibrant, now has no life in him. He's not breathing. He's not preaching. He's not healing anybody. As a matter of fact, he is the one who is in need of everything that he was given to everybody else, life and life more abundantly. And they stick him in a tomb because hope deferred makes the heart sick. So this happens on Friday. It's actually the day before the Sabbath. It's called Preparation Day because, you know, like some of you know, like me and Norma know because we're old. Well, she's better looking. I'm just old. But remember, Norma, when you had to like go to the store because the next day everything was going to be shut down? We don't know what that's like here because we can, we can get anything any anytime we want. But me and Norma know like on Sunday... You couldn't go and get, you know, pickles if you forgot them for lunch, you know. You, you couldn't do, you couldn't, every grocery store was closed. The Ben Franklin, you don't know, some of y'all don't even know what Ben Franklin is. The Ben Franklin was closed, you know. I got my allowance money. I'm like, I'm going to go buy some football cards. And dad's like, no, you're not. Why not? It's Sunday. Everything's closed. And this was their day. The Sabbath day was Saturday. And Friday was preparation day because you had to get everything you were going to get because Saturday you could do nothing or you're going to hell. It's true. So Sabbath day was their day of rest. You, you could barely water your animals. They had to make sure they had water on Friday. And if you messed up, then maybe you could repent and give them some water. But you couldn't, you couldn't do stuff on Saturday. So 
Here they are on Friday. They bury Jesus. And Mary and Mary are like, you know, maybe we should do something for Jesus. We, we, should, we should prepare his body with spices and oil. We should anoint his body. And, and, and we should go and, and pray and have our morning session. But they can't. they got to wait a day. Now, if you've ever had to wait a day just to buy pickles, it's one thing. If you had to wait a day because you were mourning and you really wanted to do something, it just time just slowly ticks on. So for a full 24 hours, they've got to wait all day Saturday. Wait all day Saturday. They can't even walk as far as from their house to the tomb because it's too far to walk because it would be considered work. And they're just sitting there, biting their nails. Thank God they didn't have battery-powered clocks. Like, tick, 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 for a whole day. Wallowing. So Sunday morning, sunrise, they get up and they run basically to the tomb. And there's already a lot of drama surrounding Jesus. They're not sure if somebody's going to steal his body. They actually put Roman guards in front of the tomb, they put a, a, a rock in front of it. And because they're afraid that somebody's going to come steal his body, there's, something's going to happen to him. Anything could happen to Jesus. I mean, everything is going crazy. It's intensification of conflict. So they go there, and on the way, they're like, uh, what are we going to do when we get there and the, the rock is in front of the, the tomb? What are we going to do about the rock? You know? I mean, we, we buried him, and we sealed it so we didn't have to deal with it. But what do we do now that there's a rock in front of it? Have you ever been so disappointed that you just put a rock in front of it and hope that nobody's there and messes with your thing? You know? You got some stuff, you know, back there. And sometimes it, sometimes it comes up. Sometimes, you know, like it works this way and then you have, to, you have to kind of think past it or you have a bad day or maybe a bad week or you hope that nobody finds out. You hope that you just have the image of I put my hope in something and it failed. Let's just leave it at that. You know, when you have to talk about it again, you know, somebody brings it up. Hey, you know, how's it? Uh, it, it, it? It didn't. Hope deferred. And you're like, you know, it's got a rock in front of it. I don't want to pull it out. And then somebody comes along and is like, let's, let's move the rock. You're like, no, nah, bro. I'd rather not. See, uh, there was a time when I was very hopeful. But I thought it was going to go good, and it didn't. I had hope, but now I'm just deferred. I'm a little bit sick, you know, but it's fine. I'm there, same old, same one the thing, you know, another day, another dollar. You know, just same old, same old. Same stuff, different day, you know, it's fine. Getting along, I'm, I'm good. Good, you know, I'm okay, I'm, I'm fine, it's all good. Don't touch the rock because everything you put your faith in is now dead. What do you do in those moments? You know, 
just go out there one day, it's like spring cleaning, like, oh, here's this rock, let's just clear it all out. Let's bring it out. Come on, I mean, it's, it's got to be in there somewhere. You know exactly what's in there. Here they are, they're walking. And they've got a lifeless Savior. I mean, I can imagine they were probably telling all their friends about this Jesus, and now he's dead. I can imagine they're telling all their family and, and how everything's going to be different. And this is the guy. I mean, it's going to happen. It's like, I predicted, I called it ahead of time. I was so convinced. I mean, it took some time, but I, I believed. And now he's dead. And nobody else will come with him. It's just Mary and Mary, and they walk there. But what had happened was the glory of God takes dead things and makes them alive. Even if you try to hide it, even try to cover it up, there's stuff the Holy Spirit power of God will bring back to life, and they can't stay away. They have to have life. They have to breathe again. There's dead things that are now moving, and they can't be covered up any longer. It's healing. It's restoration. It's movement towards what God has always intended. And if you leave it there, it'll be the worst thing ever. So God knows it, so he just brings it out. He just... He's like, hey, surprise. I'm going to move. The Bible says that it is the Holy Spirit of God that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. And that same Holy Spirit is alive in you. And every day that you put your big boy pants on and you walked off to, the, to, to do what you had to do, it's like, I guess it's dead. I guess we'll just put some oil on it. Help it not to smell bad because it's going to stink. Just make it, make it better. Somehow, some way, you get there, and God is already moving. He's already working. He's doing things that you never thought he would do, but he's not done. He's not done. Because anytime an angel shows up, it's to announce the glory of God. You know, like, when, a, when an angel of the Lord showed up to Abraham, he was announcing the glory of God. That God could take bad situations and turn them into good situations. He says, you'll have a baby. And Abraham says, how is that possible? He's like, I'm old. She's old. There's no way. He was announcing the glory of God. He said, something amazing is going to happen to you. Because an angel, angel announces the glory. Same thing happened to Mary. As a matter of fact, Mary is just a young girl. She's a virgin. And, and an angel comes and says, you're going to have a baby. And she's like, how is that possible? So the Holy Spirit will come upon you. It's the glory of God that will come upon you and you'll do impossible things and become possible because of God's glory. So here we are at the tomb and we've got, a, we've got a Savior who is lifeless, who is dead, who was just staring off into space and nothingness. He wasn't there anymore. We put his body away and we rolled it with a tomb or rolled, rolled it with a rock in front of the tomb. And they get there, the stone is rolled away, and there's an angel announcing the glory of God. It's like, hey, uh, you know, I, I know that you're looking for that same old thing here, but it's not here anymore. I know you're looking for your disappointment here, but it's not here anymore. I know you went to the same bottle thinking it was going to wash this away, but it's not here anymore. 
I know you think you can just put it away and then and you can go on to the next thing, but it's, it's not here anymore. Well, who messed with my stuff? Who rearranged my life? It was the glory of God. Well, I just walked all the way out here. I waited for a whole day. I watched the time tick away. I've been depressed. Yeah, I know, but the glory of God's been here. You mean I have to go all the way back? He's like, yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, Jesus left here. He's not waiting here for you. What, what do you mean? I mean, like, this is like my altar time. Like, I got to cry about this and listen to the same song I've listened to for the past 20 years. You know. Every time they play that jam, I got to cry. He said, no, no, no. Jesus isn't here at your disappointment. The glory of God's taking care of that. He says, as a matter of fact, Jesus is, is on his way to Galilee. He says, he says he was supposed to meet you there. I mean, he told you, meet him in Galilee. What do you mean, meet him in Galilee? Yeah, he told you. That's where he'd be. You mean like what he said is actually true? Before, before the arrest, before the cop pulled him over, going 95 in a 75, ruined everything. Yeah, it's funny because I think that was maybe part of his plan to heal your disappointment. So he goes to Galilee to the place that he told you he would be. I wonder about the places God told you he would be. Like freedom. I told you, if I set you free, you're free indeed. Yeah, but I got this thing in the tomb. The glory of God's taking care of that. Meet him at freedom. What do you mean? Like, you'll be healed. By my stripes, you are healed. What do you, what do you mean? I got, I got some stuff in this tomb. Yeah, he said he would meet you. It healed. You keep running back to the tomb. You mean happy? He would meet me at happy? The joy of the Lord be my strength? I, I'm not so happy. I mean, my life is changing. My... I mean, I'm like halfway through this thing and, and like my kids are gone and I wake up and like their bedrooms look the same. I can't even put my crafts in there. Yeah, he said he would meet you at joy. But I just sit in their room and cry. I still do their laundry. It's not even worn. It's just there. He said he would meet you at joy. And that joy would be your strength. But I'm, I'm here at the tomb. He's not here. Take a look. He's moved on to the place he said he would meet you. Every single day, you muster up enough strength to go to a place 
Sometimes it's forward, sometimes it's backwards. But that waiting, watching TikTok, 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 hope deferred makes the heart sick. You're living every day sick. And there's a lot of Christians who tell you that you need to live that sickness. I, as a matter of fact, I was like, I need, I need, let me just look up a few stories. <laughs> so I got on the internet because that's a good place to look at stories. I found a sermon written in the 1800s about a man who lost his child when, he, when the child was two. And he was a pastor. And the whole entire thing was about disappointment, when God disappoints you. And they published 13 of his sermons from the 1800s about when God disappoints you. When God disappoints you. And the title of the whole entire sermon is, Caution, Your God is Too Big. But they weren't saying, like, your God is too big for that. Just like, you have made God too big. You had too much hope. You believed too much. Because when bad things happen, you just need to sit in your suffering. Trust God in your suffering. I, I deleted that through my computer against the wall. I cussed at him. I didn't do all that. It was actually false. I did that in my mind. The whole point of maybe you are looking at suffering or looking at a tomb is because your God is too big. He's bigger. And you're looking at one part of the story. But the intensification of the conflict moves towards a place. And if you stop right here at this tomb, you'll be here for too long. And you'll wake up one day. And somebody else will be moved far along, but you'll be sat in the same place talking about your depression, talking about your moment, talking about your mourning, talking about your sickness, whatever it is, because hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. And Psalm 1 says, you'll be like a tree planted by the water who yields its fruit. In season, out of season, everything you do will prosper. Everything you do will succeed. There's nothing that you can do that will sit dormant if you'll tap into the river. And the river flows. It's out there. He said he meets you there. I'll meet you at joy. I'll meet you at peace. I'll meet you at abundant. I'll meet you at strong. I'll meet you at more than enough. I'll meet you at world changing. I'll meet you. I'll meet you. But if you won't go, you'll never meet him there. For far too long, many Christians just sat. Instead of meeting Jesus, they bought the lie that they thought too much of God. You can never think too much of God. He's better than you. Whatever conflict you're in, it's just moving towards a greater glory that only God can go fulfill. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Maybe you've been busy 
burying things. Maybe you got a whole mausoleum of just dead stuff. You can even look back and go, here's what happened this day. And here's what happened this day. And I'm good with dates, man. I can tell you all the dates. I can walk through. Here's the day I wanted this, but it didn't happen. Here's the day I believed God for that, but it didn't happen. I still believe in God, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen. But actually, God says, would you hope in me? Again. He goes as far in Romans to say that hope does not disappoint. When all your friends are telling you, don't get too hopeful because you'll just be disappointed. God says, hope never disappoints. Hope never disappoints. And then in Hebrews, he says, let us hold on unswervingly to the faith that we possess. Because he who promised is faithful. Faithful means never leave. I'm always there. And you'll see my glory if you meet me where I told you I'd be. Take a new grip, hold on tight, and run towards the thing that God has told you. Forget what lies behind and run towards what God said. He'll meet you there. Today you're here and say, Brandon, would you pray for me? I want to pray for you. Just raise your hand. I can thank you. Awesome. You're amazing. God's doing a great thing, a new thing, a new thing. Forgetting what lies behind running towards what God says. In Jesus' name. Finally, Father, we thank you for my friends in this room full of the Holy Spirit and faith. I pray right now that you would restore things that are broken, things that have been left in tombs, rocks covering dead things. I pray that hope would begin to spark again. They would see things and, and believe in your goodness again. They would sing of the goodness of God in everything they see. They would do more than you can ask, think, or imagine with the power that you put in them. And they will get up again, and they'll run again, and they'll believe again because of your faithfulness. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. Just receive it today. Receive strength. He said, if you wait on the Lord, gain new strength. Jesus. Oh. Jesus. Father, we believe you. We trust you. We run to the place you promise. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give God a praise today.